Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. Well, do you remember when it used to be possible to actually get lost? Before the smartphone, before the GPS and Apple Maps and Google Maps, it used to be possible to have kind of a sense of where you were going and absolutely no idea how to get there. Maybe you had a vague sense, but at some point you were kind of guessing. Well, I remember one of my first weeks here when I was in New Jersey, Courtney and I went to see a movie and we were staying at a house in Yardley, Pennsylvania, and we'd driven up to Hamilton to go to the AMC 24 there. And we'd gotten on 95 North in order to arrive at the movie. So as the movie is wrapping up and we're heading home, in my mind, we want to get on 95 South. What I did realize is there was one road that shared two names, which apparently is just a Northeast thing. It happens all the time. But we had driven on 95 North, but while driving on 95, that road had become 295. And 295 was oriented in a completely different way. And so in, in my uh, just assumption to go south to get back to where we came from, I ended up going towards South Jersey, going towards Delaware. You know, you start driving and we've all had that sense where we're just not going the right way. Things are not looking familiar. We should be there by now. And I pulled off at an exit that turned out to be the entrance to the turnpike and I knew I had not seen a toll on the way there. And I asked the attendant, I said, where am I? And she said, well, you're almost to Delaware. And I was like, well, that is not where I am trying to get to. And she gave me directions and we uh, got back on the highway going the opposite way. And it wasn't really until a couple years of living here that I began to understand just how this uh, Bermuda Triangle 95-295 actually worked. And props to New Jersey. I think like finally a couple of years ago, they actually fixed this to where it's not nearly as confusing. Well, the past couple of weeks, we have been immersed in a discussion on wisdom. You know, we're in this sort of uncharted moment. All of us are kind of feeling uh, some sense of we don't really know what to do because nobody feels like they've been in this kind of situation before. And so what we're trying to grasp onto as a church is how, how do we lean into timeless wisdom in a moment that seems so uncharted? And through this series thus far, we've focused on this simple phrase. The Proverbs say that fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and of wisdom. And so in breaking into this discussion of wisdom, we've talked about what it means to fear the Lord. And we've, we've basically focused on two principles. First, that fear of the Lord is the experience of God's awe-inspiring power in the embrace of his never-ending love. Fear of the Lord is not a cold and distant thing. It is a way that we draw near to God. It is a way that we understand who we are and what, what we were made to do in the world. And for the second week, we, we uh, discovered this simple principle, that to fear God is to embrace limits. Now, this week, we want to begin to explore practices and principles, and we're going to focus on one area of that this week, that the Proverbs invite us towards in order to cultivate this fear of the Lord, and thus to become a people of godly wisdom and kindness. 
The first principle we're going to focus on as we unpack uh, the Proverbs today is, is how stories give our lives direction. And the story that we tell ourselves, the story that we live into, will determine the direction of our lives. And the direction of our lives, the way that we're going, will determine the destination. You see, in the story that I began with, my intention was to get back to the house we were staying at in Pennsylvania. But because the direction that I had taken was all off, I ended up in quite a different place. And the wisdom of the Proverbs is inviting us to orient our hearts and our minds and our lives in the direction of walking with God and living out a relationship with Him. Wisdom is not an intellectual achievement. It is skillful, patient, and as we will see, generous living. Eugene Peterson describes wisdom as the art of living skillfully in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And the Proverbs fast forward from this point at the end of chapter 1 to the dead end that the ways of fools lead to in order to warn us. Andy Stanley describes the Proverbs as the principle of the path. And then he offers this observation. Stanley says, Direction, not intentions, hopes, dreams, prayers, beliefs, intellect, or education, determines destination. I know it's tempting to believe that our good intentions, aspirations, and dreams somehow have the ability to do an end run around the decisions that we make on a daily basis. But at the end of the day, the principle of the path determines the outcome. Simply put, you and I will win or lose in life by the paths that we choose. And today, we want to allow the Proverbs to serve as a cartography of wisdom, as the GPS that's telling us what to do and where to go. And, and what we find about wisdom is that it's not a, a checklist, not like those, you remember you used to print off the Google Maps, you know, before there were smartphones, I am that old. And you would follow the turn-by-turn directions and you would sort of check off, okay, I've done that one. Wisdom doesn't quite work like that, but it does serve as a survey of the land of a life that lived, lives in fear of the Lord, a life that lives generously before others. The Proverbs want to give us some sense of the means for achieving the sort of wisdom that we want for our lives. Now, I want to say a few important things about this before we get underway. First, as, as I expressed the first week as we began this series, I have always been a little leery of the Proverbs. Uh, not because I thought they were any less God's word than any other part of the Bible, but because I, I don't fashion myself a fount of wisdom. I have many areas in my life where I long to, to grow, to live with more congruency, with more integration, more shalom and wholeness. And second, as I said, I thought the Proverbs were kind of a sort of disembodied collection of cliche, slogan faith that was not as rich uh, as the grace that Jesus reveals. Even reading Andy Stanley's quote, I don't know about you, but at first when I read it, I was like, oh, oh come on, that seems a little bit harsh. Um, and, and you may have been struck by its austerity with its sort of cold and hard facts. And the question you may be asking is often the question that I would ask when approaching the Proverbs, is where's the grace? Well, friends, it is my joy to tell you over and over again that the grace 
of God is on every page of the scriptures and in every beat of the heart of God. God doesn't leave us in our sins, in our hopelessness. Romans 5 tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. God is not withholding his grace until you get it figured out, until we get it right. He's not expecting us to bootstrap our lives, get it together. The cultural proverb that God helps those who help themselves is nowhere in the biblical proverbs. But as we focus on wisdom, we are focusing on pursuing a life with God on cultivating our response to the immeasurable love that God has poured out. We are asking the question, what does it mean to live in the way of Jesus that blesses the world, that welcomes a life with God? The philosopher Dallas Willard reminds us that grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. So as we continue our discussion on wisdom today, looking at practices and heart postures that will cultivate a life with God that bears the fruit of wise living, let us be reminded again and again that every effort that we undertake is on the grounds of God's grace, on the grounds of his unfailing love for us, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we can follow this cartography of wisdom. Wisdom, living lives at peace with God and at peace with one another. Now, we, we described the end of Proverbs 1, where Proverbs 1 ended with this seemingly hopeless dead end, where the path of fools has determined their destination. Proverbs 2 begins with a ray of hope. There is still time to course correct. There is still grace for a different path to be forged. And I want to look at these practices and heart postures today. We're going to begin uh, kind of a four-week series on Proverbs 2, on the simple course corrections, the slight shifts of the story that we tell ourselves, the slight shifts of the habits that we undertake in order to live a life fully alive to God. Tim Keller says this, that to become wise is to become a disciplined person, given not to impulsiveness, but to self-examination, to circumspection, to clear thinking. And I love this distinction that Keller lines out, because so much of this is, is still about receiving. It's still about contemplation. The discipline that he is referencing here is not that you will live your best life and be your most awesome self. It is a discipline of pausing, a discipline of receiving, a discipline of listening. And so it's that sense that we want to approach the Proverbs today. We begin in Proverbs chapter 2. My child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Fear of the Lord in the Proverbs is the beginning of knowledge, and so we started there. And now as we move to Proverbs chapter 2, we are introduced to this beautiful if-then and here in Proverbs 2, it tells us that this if-then tells us that in order to begin to truly embrace what it means to fear God, we have to lean into the following. And we're going to uh, parse these out. And the first one, the first if 
that the Proverbs uh, invite us into, the first response that the Proverbs invite us into is to accept and to treasure the words of God. You see, from the very beginning, God is speaking, pouring out his heart for life and for blessing. In the beginning, God says, let there be light. And the world begins to take shape and take form. And at the end of each sequence, God blesses it with his word. Not only does his word create, his word blesses. God says, let there be. And then he says, it is good. And in Genesis 1, God speaks the world into existence. His words create worlds. And in John chapter 1, God's word, that world-creating word becomes flesh and moves into the neighborhood. And God is abundant, always speaking a fresh word. God's word is not simply descriptive. It doesn't just line out the facts. It doesn't just describe things for how they are. But God's word is generative. Not simply able to see into the heart of the matter or to expose us, but powerful enough to declare a new possibility, a new tomorrow. Psalm 19, in sort of musing on this paradigm, this beautiful rhythm that is built into the life of creation, gives us insight into the abundance of the Word of God. Look with me in Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2 and verse 4. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth their speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Their voice goes into all the earth. The psalmist, in ruminating on the word of God, is ruminating on abundance. God has spoken, not not in small bits, but in abundance, in graciousness. God is trying to reveal himself. The very heavens declare the glory of God. And then the psalmist moves to the value of the words that come from the mouth of God. Look with me in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm. All of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward." Throughout the scriptures, God speaks, extending himself in relationship, extending himself in commitment, in covenant to us, revealing his promises and his heart, and revealing, as we've seen in the Proverbs, the boundaries of a life that will lead to our flourishing. And so the Proverbs, the first thing they do in responding to this call to heed the cries of wisdom, the first practice they invite us to is to accept and to treasure the words of God. This is Proverbs 2, verse 1, to accept them and to treasure them. Now, there are two movements in accepting and treasuring the words of God. The first is simply, and may seem self-evident, but in order to accept and to treasure the words of God, we have to hear the words of God. 
The Proverbs are, are deeply personal, and this has been uh, one of the things that has uh, sort of revolved in my thinking around the Proverbs as I've spent some time just kind of immersed in their words, is how they're not some disembodied uh, like uh, thing that lacks a narrative or coherence. They are deeply personal as the life that a parent shares with a child. And this is how Proverbs 2 begins. My child, listen, my child, if you accept my words... This is how God has addressed himself to us. Jesus is God's full and final word to us. Hebrews 1 tells us that in the past God spoke in many ways and at many times, but he has spoken finally in his son who is the exact representation and the very radiance of his being. Jesus is God's ultimate and final words to us. And what the beauty of Jesus' word to us is that the words of God are not some vague, generalized spiritual truth or commandment. They're an invitation to a life with God. Isn't it incredible that the way that God fully reveals himself is by coming to us, that the word takes on flesh? In Luke chapter 9, Jesus invites his disciples, his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, up to a mountain to pray with him. And as Jesus is praying, it says the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. In this intimate space, Jesus' glory is revealed. And as Jesus is transfigured, Before his disciples, before his friends, on that mountain, the voice of heaven proclaims, This is my son. Listen to him in Luke chapter 9, verse 35. And I love this scene so much because this command to listen to Jesus is given within the context of friendship and intimacy. Peter, James, and John are Jesus' closest earthly companions. He invites them up onto a mountain to pray with him. And as they see him, as they see a glimpse of his glory, this glimpse of glory that Moses longed to see as Moses was hid in the cleft of a rock, as Elijah sought to discern the voice of the Lord in, the glory of God passes before them in all of its radiance in the context of friendship. And the voice from heaven speaks, listen to him. And this is the directive of wisdom. Accept my words given to us as a way that doesn't compress life or simplify life into uh, cliches and slogans, but transfigures all of life, bringing order and beauty and peace even out of complexity, even out of mystery and uncertainty. The call of wisdom is to hear the words of God, not as generally addressed, but as specifically addressed. The word of God is not some heavenly declaration that's just put out in general, hoping that somebody will hear it. The word of God is God's complete life opened up to us and addressed to us personally. To understand that we are daughters and sons of a king who has made us for a life that we could never forge on our own. Jesus' first words in the gospel of Mark are to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The call of wisdom to listen, listen to Jesus, is like the call of someone telling us, left to our own devices, we're going the wrong way. And friends, does your life feel 
Like, like a little bit like the Proverbs could be talking about you, like you've arrived at some dead ends, that you've found yourself in a hopeless situation. Does, it, does your life feel like it lacks coherence? Does it feel like it's sort of phrased at the edges, that it lacks integrity to hold it all together? The way towards wisdom, towards wholeness, is first to hear the word of the Lord addressed to you. And remember, we talked about this in our Easter talk. The first word that heaven says to earth is not, see, I told you so. The first word that heaven says to earth is peace. But within that peace, there is a call to a different way, a way other than our own. And repentance, repentance is not a harsh word spoken in anger. It's literally a word that calls us to change directions. It is a call of grace. Repentance, as Jesus declares it to us, is saying the way that you are going is not a way that leads to life or to joy. Turn this way and I will walk with you. Repentance is is not the omniscient I told you so of a God who could care less how we choose. Repentance is a beckoning to come and to be with God, to turn from paths that will result in your ruin, to begin to see that God does not leave our lives in fragmented shards and ruins, but can build congruence and integrity by the power of his word. The first call the Proverbs give to us is to hear. Accept and treasure this word. In order to do that, we have to hear this word as addressed to us, not in some vague crowd, but to us personally. And then the proverb then instructs the child, treasure my commandments. Now, that may sound like an oxymoron of sorts. Commandments have this sense of of starkness, of austerity, of judgment. How could they be a thing to be treasured? How could they be something that is sweet? And friends, a diagnosis can seem harsh, like it is simply telling you what's wrong. And repentance can feel like that. But a prognosis, the promise of a cure, a plan for treatment that ends in our healing and wholeness, this is what the commandments are. The commandments can be taken as a shorthand for the entirety of the words of the scriptures. The scriptures are an immersive story, not simply about what happened in the past or what God used to do, but about what happens when God takes residence in our lives and in our hearts, when he moves in relationship and holiness towards his people. He transforms us. And friends, today, I simply want to invite you to immerse you and to invite you to immerse yourself in this story. We need this wisdom. We need these promises, this hope, this transformation and formation now more than ever. The scriptures, I know for so many of us, they feel so daunting. You can read parts that are so beautiful and they just resonate immediately. And then you read other parts and you you just think to yourself, I have no idea what's going on here. I I don't really understand the context. I don't understand. There's so many barriers to entry. But, but I want to invite you this morning. The scriptures don't have to be this daunting fortress locked away for only seminarians and you know a few select saints. They are the words of a loving God addressed to you, his child. And in order for us to treasure them as the Proverbs are inviting us to, we have to immerse ourselves in them. 
Think about the things that you love. Think about the people that you love or the food that you love. We're good at treasuring those things. We move towards them. And this morning, I simply want to invite you to make a small move, to take a step that might seem like a small course correction, but if the story that we are immersing ourselves in sets the direction of our lives, and if the direction determines the destination, then this small step might just be a step towards a life that you had never imagined, towards a life of peace and of wholeness and of joy. And so I simply want to invite you this morning uh, to give you a practice that we're going to take on as a church for the next week. And I want to uh, just invite you to take this one small step. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find the Shema, the the daily prayer recited by faithful Jewish people for millennia. And it says in in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Friends, what Deuteronomy is giving us a picture of is what it means to treasure the commandments, to treasure the words of God. And so much of this is not magic. It's talking about them. It's putting them in places that you can see them. And and so this is the practice I want to invite you to today. As as Deuteronomy 6 says, tie them on as symbols, write them on your door frames, talk about them when you're at home, talk about them when you're on the road, talk about them when you're uh, with your children. These are practices of prominence. And what takes prominence in our homes? What demands our attention? What do we treasure? Right now, as we are mostly quarantined to to certain and specific spaces, the landscape is not changing often. And so this may seem confining, and it certainly has that feel uh, to us at different moments throughout our life, but this may be a gateway towards reshaping even the walls that we see each and every day. And so I want you to simply do this. Spend today, use Google, use a Bible app. You can even use Deuteronomy 6 if that's if that passage just speaks to you. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, your heart, your mind, your strength. Uh, I want you to find a passage that just resonates. Uh, you know, make it sort of succinct. I want you to find something that just, it speaks to you in the moment of your life. And, and you know a great way to do this is if you kind of have a vague idea of maybe a, a Bible passage that you heard long ago, but you don't know where it is, type it into Google. Google's search algorithm is amazing. It can pull out even your vaguest search terms and find, if there's something to be found, it will find it. So I want you to spend today, find a Bible verse that is resonating in the space that you're in in your life right now. And if you're completely unfamiliar with the scriptures, if you joined us today and you just, you're like, I don't even know where to start, uh, can I just offer you Psalm 23 or Psalm 46? If you Google those, and that's Psalm with a P, a silent P at the beginning, uh, those passages have been uh, uniquely meaningful to people throughout the generations. 
And I want you, as you find this passage, this succinct prayer or passage, I want you to put it somewhere you can see it. Whether that's on your computer screen, if you're working from home and that's uh, a lot of your vocational life, whether it's on a mirror or on a wall in your house or on the fridge for a lot of us, you know what I'm saying. I want you to put it somewhere that you're going to see it. And I want you to just allow that practice, uh, that, that uh, simple act of seeing and beholding, I want you to allow that. Uh, to immerse yourself in the scriptural story. You see, if we picture our lives like a glass or a cup, when you shake the glass, whatever you've put into it comes out of it. And I have some nice cold brew there. But when we are shaken in this life, when we are shaken with the disruptions or with the pain and the suffering of this life, what we have filled our lives with is going to come out. And this is sort of the path that wisdom is outlining for us, is that the decisions that we make on a daily basis to, to respond to the grace of God will shape so much of our future. I love what my brother uh, Rich Velota says about Jesus when his life was shaken. He says, when Jesus was tempted, scripture flowed from his lips. When Jesus was challenged, scripture flowed from his lips. When Jesus was crucified, scripture flowed from his lips. One of the ways to live like Jesus is to internalize scripture so that when we are cut or when we are shaken, it spills out of us. And friends, today, I want to invite you, because this is such a moment where we can be immersed in a story that is of doom and despair and, and, and sort of paralyzes us in that moment, you know, like a deer in the headlights. If, if you're reading the news for hours on end a day, there's so much uh, varying opinions and so much that is telling us that nothing will ever be the same. And, you know, from a Christian perspective, maybe that's a good thing. Uh, but, but it's so much that if we saturate our minds in this story, it can lead us to despair. It can lead us to a paralysis. And what I want to invite you to, uh, towards the way of wisdom, accepting and treasuring the words of God, putting his promises before you. As Paul says, all his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Understanding what a life with God it means for us as this story becomes not just something that happened, but something that happens. These are the words of life. As the psalmist says in Psalm 19, they are better than gold, sweeter than honey. So I just simply want to invite you, put the scriptures in your perspective this week. Put them somewhere you will see them. Allow a different and better story to be the story that surrounds the walls of your house. As we engage wisdom, let us embrace this different story. Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross and scorned its shame. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that the cross is foolishness to the world, but is the very wisdom of God. And friends, this morning... As we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we seek to live wise, integrated lives, 
we see that Jesus could embrace the cross because he was immersed in a far bigger and better story. And his primary lens, his primary treasure was the word of God. As Paul says, Jesus died for us according to the scriptures. He was dead, buried, and raised on the third day. And his life calls us, calls us to reframe, to reframe not only the destination. We all want to see God. We all want to see heaven, but to reframe the direction. And this morning, the first step on that journey is to immerse ourselves in the story, to hear, though it may be a tough word, that at times we have to repent, that we have to course correct, but that word of repentance is not a word of judgment or condemnation, but is a gracious invitation to find that Jesus meets us on the road over and over again. Would you pray with me, friends? Beautiful Jesus, you're calling us to a life of wisdom, God, but not the kind of wisdom that, that trades in cliches or slogans, but the kind of wisdom that sees the world for how it is and loves it nonetheless. God, that sees humanity for the choices that we make, God, that, that are against and counter to the life that you have for us and loves us and draws near to us. So God, this morning, I want to simply give two calls, Lord, for those of us who just simply feel like we're at a dead end. God, for those of us who feel like life has, has arrived at a cliff and that there is nothing remaining. God, would you show us that you are meeting us there? God, that you are a bridge and a hand extended. God, that your grace truly meets us there in your presence and transforms our lives. And God, so I pray for those of us who feel just, just at a loss. God, the second call I want to make is for those of us who just need a fresh immersion in your story. God, who need to fall in love with your words and your promises and your stories in order that they might be brought to life in our day, in our time, and in our neighborhood. Jesus, would you help us take on this simple practice of just keeping scripture before us this week in order that we might see that there is a bigger story. God, these moments that cause us to, to, to choose who we're going to be, God, that you are empowering and in, enlivening us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we ask all of these things humbly, God, but boldly because you have invited us into an incredible relationship with you. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.